Joel Embiid is doing something this year he's never done in years past, and it's a big reason for his recent offensive struggles. We're diving into the numbers and hearing from the big fella himself. Plus, we are opening up the mailbag and have a great guest joining us from Atlanta to help me preview the Sixers matchup against the Hawks. That's right now on Locked On Sixers. You are Locked On 76ers. Your daily Philadelphia 76ers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome into Locked On Sixers. I am your host, Serena Winters, former Sixers sideline reporter, serving up content to Sixers fans. Don't forget to follow, like, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And hey, while you're at it, why don't you leave us a review? I would greatly appreciate it. You can also follow me on Twitter at Serena Winters. We truly appreciate you for making Locked On 76ers your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms. Plus, we've got great sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Truebill. Truebill is the new app that saves you money by helping you identify and stop paying for the subscriptions you don't want or need and can even negotiate better deals on those you want to keep. It's showtime, baby. So after the Celtics game, we were talking about Joel Embiid's offensive struggles to start the season. And now look, it's a smaller sample size of just 12 games, but there's no glossing over the fact that Embiid's shooting numbers are down across the board. He's shooting just 40.8% on two-point attempts this season. That's nearly 14% less than last season. His effective field goal percentage is 45.3% down almost 10% from last season. His actual field goal percentage is 40.7%, another career low. But what I find even more telling than any of that is that only 26% of his shots this season have come at the rim. 26%. That's in just the 12th percentile of bigs this season, according to Cleaning the Glass. That means that 88% of bigs are shooting more shots at the rim this season. How's that for math? You like that? (laughs) For clarification, at the rim is designated as shots within four feet of the basket. Now, the majority of Embiid's mid-range shots, 34% to be exact, are within that four feet to 14 feet range. And this is the first year in Embiid's playing career that he's actually shooting more shots from the short mid-range area than he is at the rim. That's a big deal. Now listen to Embiid talk about how difficult it's been for him to get easy shots this season. Uh, man, I mean, uh, the whole season I haven't gotten any easy ones. Um, you know, he feels like I got to work for everything. So uh, that's why I say we got to, you know, communicate. Uh, you know, I got to let, you know, my teammates and, you know, my guys know, you know, uh, probably uh, got to come up with it myself, um, you know, find ways, you know, I can get easy ones. Uh, it just feels like I have to work for everything, uh, especially it's hard. Uh, you know, I get double every single possession, so, 
man, if I get double um, and I'm dribbling the ball and I'm going into a shot, you know, most of the time, if I want to get a shot off, I got to go in fairer ways and, you know, shooting off the dribble. Uh, no team is really allowing me to get to the paint, uh, you know, from, you know, the time that I put the ball on the floor, they're already sending doubles. Uh, um, like I, I got to be aggressive, um, you know, I got to make plays uh, too, um, but, you know, most of the time, uh, if it's going to be that way, you know, there's, you know, a lot of times where I'm going to have to be shooting over double teams. So you can hear Embiid explaining there why he feels he hasn't been able to get shots at the rim, right? And he's not making excuses. I mean, he reiterated over and over again that his efficiency is not where it needs to be and that that's got to change. But back to the double teams for a second. There's still times where I'd rather see Embiid just quickly kick it out to the open guy because, hey, if you're double teamed, there is one. (laughs) More math for you. But I also want to see the Sixers pushing the tempo and not letting the opponent's defense get set. Because that just makes it easier to double team Embiid. And that's a huge factor in this. The slower the Sixers team plays, the more they hesitate to get out into open court, get the offense going, and then the easier it is for teams to defend and beat. So we cannot forget about that. And a lot of that is going to be on Tyrese Maxey. We mentioned it on the last pod. It's going to take time for him to get comfortable in actions with Embiid. But what I hope does not take as much time as developing this two-man game we were talking about is just running, pushing the pace. That's something that should hopefully get fixed quickly. On a related note, Embiid did say he's still feeling the effects of COVID. And although he does not want to use it as an excuse, it's going to take some serious time for him to get his cardio and his legs back. Now, before we get to the mailbag, Gina Mizell of the Philadelphia Inquirer, friend of the pod, we've had her on before, she asked Joel about the challenges of not getting frustrated when things were going well to start the season, and then you have the injuries, the health and safety protocols, everything else goes down. Take a listen to Embiid's response. I mean, it's been the story of my really career in Philly. Um, feels like every single time. You know, we got something going on, uh, something always, you know, seems to happen or show up or, um, you know, whether it's distractions or, you know, injuries. And last year we had COVID, this year we have COVID and a bunch of injuries. So uh, then we just need to, um, I mean, I don't want to use that word first, uh, but we just got to uh, really keep trusting each other. You know, believe you know in each other, uh, and like I said, just communicate. Um, you know, that's the best way we're gonna get back to the level of basketball we were playing before. Because I mean, we were winning games, uh, just moving the ball. Our defense was good. You know, get, getting uh, right now we're not getting any easy baskets. Um, you know, we suck in, uh, in transition defensively. Uh, in the half court, uh, we've been pretty good all season, uh, but. You know, and it starts with me. Um, you know, I can't be playing the way I played uh, these last two games, uh, especially 
when it comes to shot making. Uh, if you know teams are going double me and I'm not going to get easy baskets, I gotta create uh, for myself and for my teammates, and I gotta you know make those shots. I like how Joel just says it as it is. We suck in transition. Then I don't have to say it. <laughs> Oh, Philly sports fans, I know you can very much relate to what Joella B. just had to say. But coming up, we are going to open the mailbag and then catch up with my colleague over at the Atlanta Hawks to help me break down tonight's game. Do you know why free trials renew without your consent? It's a business scam out to get you. Don't let greedy corporations pocket your money, download Truebill to take control of your subscriptions. Truebill is the new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions you don't need, want, or simply forgot about. I know that happened to me a couple of months ago with SiriusXM Radio. Whew. Those things rack up if you don't catch it quick. And Truebill helps you do just that. On average, people save up to $720 a year with Truebill. Don't fall for subscription scams. Start canceling today at Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. Go right now. Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. It could save you thousands a year. Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. Thanks for making Locked On Sixers your first listen. Every day we are free and available on all platforms. Now, before we get to the mailbag, Sixers Twitter is always an interesting place to wind up late on a Thursday night. And for whatever reason, this tweet from a fan to me stood out. He writes, I'm so uninterested in this team right now. They're they're so hard to watch. And really, I'm just curious if other fans feel this way. I mean, for me, being in the business and covering the NBA is my job. It's hard for me to relate to a sentiment like this sometimes. So if you're listening right now, do you feel this way or is what this person tweeted at me, is that an outlier? I'm genuinely curious. So send me a note on my Twitter account at Serena Winters. You know, for me, I find so many intriguing storylines with this team, so I can't say the same. But I can absolutely agree that there have certainly been more than a fair share of games that have been hard to watch. (laughs) Okay, tonight's first mailbag question is, who is going to step up and be a closer? Well, look, the short answer is that it's still going to be on Joel Embiid's shoulders, even with his offensive struggles, which we have just laid out in grave detail in the first segment. He is actually still leading the league in clutch time points per game. Right now, this season, with 5.9. That's more than LeBron. LeBron's in second. Just a reminder for all of you guys out there, clutch time is the last five minutes of a game if the game is within five points on either side. That's how the stats trackers view clutch time. Now, after Joel Embiid, which is probably more of what this listener asks, it's got to be a combination of Tobias Harris and Tyrese Maxey. Now, Maxi has played in all 14 clutch time games this season. Yes, the Sixers have had 14 of them. They've gone 6-8. and eight. Maxi's averaging 1.2 points in clutch time. Harris, on the other hand, 
has played in just eight since he was out in health and safety protocols and is averaging just 0.4 points per game in clutch time. 0.4. So look, the sample size is small, but it tells you the Sixers need more from Tobias in these moments. But for all the gripes you know you hear about Harris and closing games, if we compare it to a bigger sample size, so let's now take last season and look at Harris's numbers there, Harris was second to Joel Embiid in clutch time points. He had 2.8 per game. So he does have that in him. And now if you're out there listening thinking 2.8, I mean, that doesn't sound like a lot. If you're listening, you know I like to put things in perspective, so that's what I'm about to do. When Jimmy Butler was on this team, back in what, 1819? He was also second to Embiid. And he had 2.9 points per game in clutch time. Harris had 2.8 last season. So I know that we, you know, myself included, talk about how much we miss Jimmy as a closer. And look, the stats don't tell the full story. They never do. For example, we all remember the game-winning buzzer beaters Jimmy had in Philly. Those aren't in the clutch time stats, I'm telling you. I'm just saying that Tobias Harris has got to be the number two guy to close. He's got to be. All right, this is a good question. Should Isaiah Joe be getting more minutes than Furkan at this point? If not, how much longer can you wait for Furkan to find a shot? So Furk, whew. Over his past 11 games, Korkmaz is averaging 20.8% from three. 25.8% from the field. So look, it is a legitimate question. And while his defense has improved, he can still be a defensive liability, especially if he's not making shots. Hence why his plus minus has also been minus 4.2 in that spam. Now Isaiah Joe, just in his second year, has only played in 13 games this season. And he's shooting 29.4% from three with a 33.3% field goal percentage. Now, believe it or not, Korkmaz's overall shooting this season, his numbers are still better than Joe's. But the question is, should he get more minutes than Furkan right now? You may or may not remember Embiid praised Joe. It was in preseason. I think it was a Nets game. Saying that Joe's got the handles, can shoot and defend, and thinks he's going to be in the league for a long time. That's a big compliment coming from the big fella. But here's the thing. I don't hate giving Isaiah Joe more minutes while Korkmaz is in this slump. I actually kind of like it because it would be a good reason to let Joe develop. But I think Doc's thinking here is that if the playoffs started today, they're going to go to Korkmaz over Joe, obviously. Isaiah Joe, that is. And because of that, he probably finds more value and hoping they can get Korkmaz back on track rather than seeing what Joe can do right now. But look, I think, personally, if Korkmaz is still in the same funk in another two weeks, I'd make a change. Why not? Get Joe out there. See what he can do. If nothing else, maybe it even pumps Korkmaz up when he comes back. 
Thank you so much for sending in mailbag questions. I love going through them. Sorry I could only get to two today. I will definitely try to get to more next time. Keep them coming. Coming up, I've got Brad Rowland from Locked on Hawks to help me preview the Sixers matchup against the Hawks. But first, you know what time it is. Time for me to tell you about Built Bar. This holiday season, grab the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, or even better than a candy bar, Built Bar, filled with so much holiday goodness, rich with decadent flavor, covered in chocolate, but amazingly low in calories, sugar, net carbs, and fat, and high in protein. You get the best of both worlds, delicious and healthy. That's how I roll. Plus, there's so many flavors, and I don't know about you, but I love bars, and I'll get on this bar kick, and I'll buy, you don't even want to know how many packs of the same flavored bar, and then I'm sick of the flavor, and so you need a new one. And that's where Built Bar comes in because they are always coming out with new flavors and they are delicious. I'm feeling that there's a caramel one right now. Mm. Coconut one. Mm-hmm. Do you like the taste of marshmallowy treats around the holidays? Might want to get your hands on some Built Bar puffs. They are light, fluffy, and marshmallowy through and through. Go to built.com, use promo code LOCKED15 and get 15% off your order. Use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. Joining me now is Brad Rowland of Locked On Hawks. And Brad, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. The Sixers are taking on the Hawks on Friday night, 7.30 Eastern in Atlanta. And look, this is already the second meeting of these teams. But Brad, from watching your team, this current Atlanta team seems much different than the team that we saw when they played the Sixers back in October. I mean, starting out the season four and nine, and did I see the Hawks have now won eight of their past nine games? What has changed? Yeah, that's accurate. It's actually pretty funny in that the Hawks were healthier back then, uh, and they just couldn't, for whatever reason, find it. They were in the middle of that uh, hiccup. And in fact, it's their most lopsided loss of the season was actually in Philadelphia at the end of October. But <laughs> like you said, they've uh, been very good lately. The schedule has been a little bit friendlier for one, but they also just have been awesome on offense. And uh, they're kind of fighting where they were last year in terms of that approach. And it's still offense first team, so they have to be good on that end of the floor. And they've kind of found it recently. Well, speaking of that last game that the Sixers and Hawks played, I remember specifically Tobias Harris after that game talking with the media and saying, obviously there was a little bit more to that game for the Sixers as just a regular season game because of how Atlanta bounced the Sixers out of the playoffs in a game seven last season. Do you see any type of rivalry between these two teams or not really from Atlanta's side because Atlanta beat the Sixers in the playoffs last year? I'm sure there's something there, but like you said, it's probably more on the other end just because of the result. And, you know, especially doing it in Philly and Game 7 and all that stuff. And uh, ironically, it feels like the Hawks are more rivals with the Knicks right now, even though they beat the Knicks in the previous round. It was, I guess, a lower stakes series, but because of all the Trey Young stuff and uh, that crowd, etc. But yeah, I mean, maybe it's because they got run out of the building in Philly earlier this season. So maybe there, there's any attention on that. But it may, there may not be as much buzz on this end. And I kind of I get it, but at the same time, I think Philadelphia is a team that the Hawks are going to have to deal with moving forward. So perhaps there uh, probably should be more of a rivalry than there is. Maybe that will continue to grow. 
So you mentioned the Knicks. Do I have my uh, my memory serves me right here? That was the one team that actually beat the Hawks over the past nine games, right? The New York Knicks? Yeah, they actually got them at home as well. And the Hawks yeah. were really good at home, but they, they kind of laid an egg on Saturday night and uh, kind of, I guess, maybe... Maybe similarly, the Knicks had a little bit extra for the Hawks in that game. <laughs> so one of the stats that surprised me the most when I was researching this Hawks team to preview, and let me know if I have my information right here, but did I see that the Hawks actually have the number one offense over the past 10 games, Brad? Yeah, that's that's right. And uh, I believe with that run, as of at least when we're recording this, the Hawks, because of that push, are number two or three in the league, depending on where you look in terms of offensive rating. Uh, and it's basically been key by this run, and they've kind of found it. And that's been the explanation, really, for why they're playing so much better. And they probably are shooting a little bit over their heads in that run, just kind of in the way that you kind of have to be to be number one in the league in that short of a period of time. But uh, with Trey Young, and they've kind of just kind of recaptured their pick and roll magic from last year um and even amidst injuries they actually might have helped them offensively they've had more ball movement recently and uh, i think it's definitely if you look on tape between how they've been playing now and how they were playing last year in the second half of the season when they got so hot and made their playoff run it does look pretty similar well trey young we haven't touched on him yet and he had a rough start to the year and i remember him making headlines in atlanta because he was talking about how admitting that the regular season is a bit more boring than the playoffs and that you've got to find that motivation to play like it is the playoffs. Well, the past five games, he's had consecutive games of at least 30 or more points. I saw he was also nominated for Eastern Conference Player of the Month. The Sixers had a guy in that category too. He goes by the name of Tyrese Maxey. You'll see him tomorrow. But how has Trey Young changed at all recently? The biggest thing is that he's making shots, and that that obviously is very clear, and uh, you you might imagine that by the way he has been performing. But I think there was a lot made of his struggles early in the season, and really it was a lot of just not making shots because the free his free throws are down. That's been a national story, as I'm sure you have heard, uh, and there was a lot of attention paid to him and James Harden in particular with the rule changes and uh, Trey's free throws are down, but quietly. After this run, he actually has career highs going in basically every other shooting category. Two-point percentage, three-point percentage, etc. And he's just been really hot. You mentioned that. I think he's had six games in a row of 30 points or more. He's got four 30-10 games in that run. And he's been in total control. And when he's making threes, there's kind of nothing you can do with him because he's so good off the dribble, such a good passer, um, and the way that his floater game is appearing. So if, if that opens up for him as it has been recently, um, he becomes even more unguardable than he is usually. Now, you mentioned the injuries, and like you said, when the Sixers saw this Atlanta team earlier this year, they had a lot more players available than they might have on Friday. I mean, it seems to me like you you guys are down to like one of your top four wings to even start the season. So what's been going on on that front? And also, as of right now, who's in and who's out for Friday night? Yeah, on Wednesday, the Hawks' last game, they actually, like you just referenced, they only played with one of their top four wings in that game, and they've been missing DeAndre Hunter for a while. He was still playing when they played Philadelphia last time. He's been out for a couple weeks now with uh, after a wrist surgery. And then Bogdan McDonavich, their starting two guard, sprained his ankle um, pretty severely last week, and he's been out for the last couple of games. So there is a chance that Cam Reddish 
who is their fourth wing coming into the season. He's listed actually as questionable for Friday's game. He might return, but if he doesn't play, it's Kevin Herter and only Kevin Herter. And I know Philadelphia fans probably don't love Kevin Herter after game seven, but uh, he's the only... What are you talking of, about? Yeah, exactly, we don't know exactly. what you're talking about. <laughs> um, but at least as of Wednesday, Herter was their only healthy wing of the guys that they're counting on. They have some depth. This is a quietly deep team, and they have guys like Timothy Lawu Cabarot, who has been in rotations before. He was in Brooklyn's rotation last year, so they have probably more depth than most teams would when they're, when they're down by you know down three wings. But they're still not quite themselves in terms of uh, having the guys that they wanted to have. And lastly, Brad, what do you think this Atlanta's team's biggest weakness is? You know, what can teams exploit against them? I love the Sixers tomorrow. You know, if they get a win, it will be be. Because why? I think the biggest thing right now, um, I, I could just say defense overall, but to be more specific than that, because they've been struggling defensively this year, it's point of attack defense. And part of that's the injuries. But, uh, you know, Click Capella's come on. He's been a great run protector for the Hawks. But if you look up and down the roster, they don't have a lot of guys who you would qualify as stoppers on the perimeter. And I know it's not necessarily Philadelphia's biggest strength either, but with the way the Maxi's playing in particular, they have some more guys off the bounce than they've had previously. And the Hawks have not been the best at stopping penetration and contesting shots on the perimeter. So if there's one thing to sort of look at with something that I'm monitoring, it is that growth for the Hawks. They've been a little bit better recently, but there's a long way to go, and that is kind of a weakness right now. Well, the Sixers won the last game because, in my opinion, they pushed the pace, they got out in transition, they got points in the paint, and we haven't seen that as of late with this Sixers team. So it should be a fun one in Atlanta. Brad, thank you so much for joining me on the pod. It's my pleasure, and uh, Friday should be interesting. Well, that's going to do it for today's episode of Locked On Sixers. Thanks for making Locked On Sixers your first listen every day. And if you're looking for some gambling insight, check out Locked On Bets, your daily one-stop shop for all your gambling needs, hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. Enjoy the weekend. We will see you on Monday morning.